Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. Join us today as we learn from God's Word in Habakkuk. We pray that His Word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Habakkuk is where we are. We started this a couple weeks ago, and as... I was looking at kind of where we are in this current situation with COVID-19 and everything going on. It's really interesting to me how when things get really difficult, we always want to find someone or something to blame. Habakkuk, and we started this kind of this book with the idea, the premise of how could a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Even though Jesus himself says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. That's a whole nother sermon in and of itself. But these questions come, and when we see something difficult happening, we're like, God, what are you doing? What's going on? And, and I think we forget something. We forget just a, a primary truth that is, that is written all over Scripture, that is written all over our world and everything that we see, is that, is that we, we need to answer the question of what is wrong in this world? What's, what's wrong in this world? It's not, it's not disease and it's not, it's not people making poor choices, although that's definitely what's wrong. But what is the root cause of what's wrong with this world is sin. Sin is still the pandemic that we forget to talk about. Sin is the reason why we are experiencing brokenness in this world. Sin is the reason why you and I wrestle daily with our flesh. Sin is the reason why we see so much pain in this world. It has been what is wrong with the world since the apple in the garden. It has been what will be wrong in this world until Jesus comes back again. So if you, if you want to be with God, then we have got to understand that sin is going to attack us. Sin's desire is to devour anything good. It is, it is trying to systematically undo the joy of God. Sin is at war with us. This world is broken. The problem in the world at all times is the rebellion to God, sin against God. That is our problem. Let's call it what it is. When it gets difficult in our life, we want to start blaming other things. We want to point out, well, if that person didn't do this or if this situation didn't go on. And yes, all of those things are true, but at the root of it, it's sin. It's brokenness. All things in this world get perverted by sin in some way. Think about it. Every new good creation that we do that has purpose to, to, to move the gospel forward, think about how quickly someone in a sinful state can take and turn that to use it in a negative way. Sin is horrible. I was driving my truck this last week and, and I just caught some little news. I don't even know if it was news or whatever, but just this article about some famous rapper who was, who was bragging about the exploits of what he, got his un, what he got grown women to do with his underaged son. And he was just bragging about it. And I just, I, honest, I just pulled over because I just started weeping. I'm like, what in the world is wrong with this world. And I, I'm, I'm upset because I'm shocked. And I'm like, why am I shocked when I know that this world is full of sin? That this is not home. Our home is here in a resurrected state where we put on the imperishable. But I just weeped. Just weep thinking about the, the brokenness that this, this boy is experiencing and the brokenness that he will perpetuate in this state without the gospel crashing into his life. What are we doing? How are we living in this and see, what, 
What, what bothers me the most about myself and not, I'm not speaking to any specific person, I'm, I'm wrestling with this in myself, is that when it gets hard in our life, when things get difficult, when, when we take comforts away from us, what do we start doing? We start wrestling with God and we start running towards fear. And we, we, are, we, get, we become completely distracted and we start being divisive and, and fighting and instead of, instead of pushing to the Lord, instead of submitting to God, we start wrestling with fear, me included. And people that are, that are, that are being rooted in, in the Lord or people that are going through these things are, are being uprooted in some ways. And one of the things that just scares the snot out of me is honesty, is how many people in the beginning of this COVID-19 would have proclaimed Jesus Christ, but during it and after it will never give him praise again. See, when, when things get hard, we get shaken. If you shake a fruit tree, the fruit will fall down. The scary part is that sometimes when it gets difficult, instead of just the fruit falling, the, the tree gets uprooted. It's on weak soil. Today's text is a really hard set of scripture. It's one that uh, is really hard to swallow. It's, it's going to be most likely with you, hopefully it does what it, the Lord did with me by putting me in my place. Sometimes being put in your place can seem so mean, right? Like how, how dare you put me in this place? How dare you speak to me this way? Or how, how dare you? We can, we can get so frustrated and, and angry when we get put in our place. But sometimes the nicest thing that anyone, including God, can do for us is to bring us back to the place that we belong. And that's what this text does. If you're out of place, being put back in place is the, the most loving thing that can happen. In Habakkuk, we started this book because we, we wanted to wrestle with the idea of the, the question of how can a good God allow bad things to happen? And, and we, we spent a bunch of time in history. And then last week, we talked about coming to the Lord openly and honestly and, and wrestling with him like Habakkuk does in the first part of this book. He, he comes and he says just some, some really raw things. And we talked about how it's important for us to go to God just like Jesus went to God in the garden. But at the end of this book, the thing that we have to remember is God, is that Habakkuk still praises God. He still praises him. So, when it's good, it's really easy to praise God. Man, it's so easy to just praise God. I, we say it all, oh, I'm just so blessed. I got a great job. I got great this. And we, we go to all the, the stuff, all the comforts really in our life when we most of the time talk about how easy and good life is. But when things are bad, we see who we really are. See, I think too many of us have done God plus country or God plus comfort or God plus anything. And God plus anything equals nothing. Reality is, is when, we, when, we, when the rubber hits the road and when we run into these difficult times where we're just like, I don't get it, and it doesn't make sense, when we, when we get confronted by that, God plus anything is nothing. We need God and God alone, and he is more than enough. He is more than enough. Sometimes God is so good to draw us back to him by removing the things from us that can so easily distract us from him. So Habakkuk uh, 1, 5 through 11 is where we're going to be today. If you want to read along with me in this section, it's just, again, we're, we're trying to deal with the difficulty that Habakkuk has. I don't have time to cover it. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast and get caught up. So this is the Lord's answer to Habakkuk's first prayer. This is God speaking to Habakkuk. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. 
For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go from Go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press up proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sands. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for the, they pile up earth and take it. When they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Habakkuk and this was the Lord's first answer, I might have gone back to, can, you just, can we just go with you not answering me and being, being upset about you not answering me? Because there's some really interesting things that God is saying in here that we have to kind of reconcile specifically based on what we're, we're talking about with this idea. First off, what God says he's going to do in, in verse five, he says, look, look among the nations and see. He's saying, look, what I'm going to do, you actually won't believe in faith. It's so perplexing, it's so crazy, it's so unreal, it's so, so out there that the only way you're going to believe this is when you see it. So just watch, it's happening. I'm raising up a people. I'm raising the Chaldeans I'm, or the Babylonians. I'm going to raise these people up to bring the justice that you so adamantly are asking for, Habakkuk, to the people of God. That's what I'm going to do. And then he spends the next four verses talking about these people that he is raising up. They... At the time, remember, at the time, the Assyrians were kind of the power. They were the power ahead of time. So even, even for Habakkuk to believe that the Chaldeans, that this nation that was further that had to get through Assyria to get to Judah, would, it would have been hard to believe. Now, now the Assyrians were on decline and, and the Babylonians were on, on the rise. But either way, with, with Egypt and, and all the influence that kind of been had their fingers on Judah in this time, it, it kind of seemed like they had a buffer. It's like, okay, well, you're going to raise them up. All these other nations are going to have to fall for you to really get to us because they kind of own us right now. And he says, look, these, these Chaldeans, they shall be instruments of the destruction. And, and through themselves, acting unrighteously, they will execute the righteousness of the Lord. So here are these unrighteous people acting unrighteously, and they're going to execute the righteous work of the Lord. And they will punish Israel through cruel and fierce ways. What they do is, is done with violence and fury. They're vehement in, in their passions. They show no mercy. They spare no pains. They're terrible and dreadful. These are the words that God is using talking about these people. Saying, look, they're, they're fearless troops. They bring into the field their horses and they're, they're, their horses are faster than leopards. And they, they come and they're fiercer than a wolf when it's hungry at night. Now, wolves tend to eat at night, so they fasted all day. And the picture that, that, that you're getting or the picture that's being used here is the idea of multiple wolves tearing at something. It is not a, a pleasant, fun, like sit by the fireplace and enjoy the story kind of picture. It's a violent, mean, harsh reality. They're ravenous. Their justice and their dignity go forth from themselves. This essentially means that they, they recognize no higher power. There's no higher law than themselves. Their own will is the law to them and their fierceness of their pursuits. They will not be governed by any laws of humanity, equ equality, equity, or honor. None of those things are in the way. The Babylonians don't care. Their own, own law is themselves. And though the distance would be great, and though they're coming from, from far away, somehow they're going to show up, and they're going to show up ready to fight. 
they have stamina beyond all belief. God just goes on and on about what these Babylonians, these Chaldeans, these unrighteous people that he is raising up to have his justice served on his children. He goes on and talks about it. It almost feels like he's, he's, he's bragging about them. And then verse 9, he says, they shall all come for violence to enrich themselves for spoil. Look, the, there will be so much violence that they're going to enrich themselves. Verse 9 is also a little difficult to translate. It's the second part, the all their faces forward. Some say all their faces eastward. And, and there's a lot of discrepancy in what many people believe it says. But kind of the, the best way to understand this section, again, there's a little bit of discrepancy here, but the best way to understand it with the three Hebrew words that make up this statement is that this is a collection of the front troops. So the, the, the troops moved toward the land of God's covenant people. They are, um, they are, they are people that are facing towards them. It's, it's the front troops. It's the, like you see the people, you see their faces, they're pushing in, they're relentlessly striving. It's an, it's an arg, it's a, it's a dark and kind of scary situation. That's essentially what it's saying. It's talking about a collection of kind of the front rank, rank of troops moving forward is what's happening. It's not necessarily having to do with eastward or whatever else. Some have talked about the east wind coming in, just taking out things. And maybe that's why, because that's where they were coming from possible again, but I think what makes the most sense here is he's, he's defining these people as a whole. And, and he's saying, look, the front ranks, their, their faces are going to be fierce. They're going to be relentless. And they're going to they're come hard and fast. And they shall gather like sand captives. Now, how interesting is it that God uses that word when one of the biggest frustrations of the people of God was, was the Abrahamic covenant in the sense that, that, that he would have descendants like sand. God says, no, no, you'll have captives like sand now. You'll have captives like sand. According to the laws of God's covenant, transgressors, sinners, must end up in this condition. This is, what we, this is what we forget. God is keeping his word by doing what he's doing here. Deuteronomy 28, 41. Israel would beget sons and daughters, but they would be taken into captivity if the nation fell into sin. This is the promise that God had made. You sin there will be turmoil. You, you come to me, you'll be blessed. And then in verse 10, he talks about the, the scoffers and they, they scoff at kings, like the people that usually should be feared, the Babylonians literally will just laugh at, make fun of. They have no fear of anyone. They, they just laugh at them and they laugh at the fortress. Jerusalem was really, really fortified and was this tough area and would take many times for people to get in. In fact, it takes three different ways for the Babylonians to finally take it over in 586. He's saying, look, they, they, they laugh at even your fortresses. They're, they're weak. The, the, your fortresses, as amazing as they are, they don't put any fear or trepidation in the Babylonians. And then in verse 11, he talks about his strength being his God. Ultimately, the demise of the Babylonians, and this is what we'll find out in, in Habakkuk's second prayer, is that the, the, the Babylonians are so strong that they literally make their strength their God. They worship their strength because there's no one that can get in the way of it. And that, as you know, if you worship anyone other than God, does not bode well for you, especially when we look at scriptures. But the wicked in Israel shall not by any means escape judgment. As a matter of fact, they shall be devastated by the awesome tool raised up by the almighty God. There's, there's two things that we need to remember in this. And the first one is, remember that this is an answer coming to Habakkuk after years 
if not multiple, multiple years of seeing incongruence in God's people, seeing, seeing failure of God's people to live like God's people, seeing sin amongst, amongst the God's people, them worshiping other people. So when Habakkuk comes to God, he's seemingly spent, he's done. He's saying, how long, God? What are you doing? What, what in the world are you going? So he's coming into the situation in a really difficult spot. It's not like life has been wonderful and then all of a sudden God says, hey, just so you know, Habakkuk, this is coming. It's gonna be really, really difficult. No, life has sucked for him. It's been horrible for him. This has been, this has been sin after sin after sin. It's been a struggle over and over and over again. And now God comes back and says, hey, just so you know, it's going to get a lot worse. It's going to get a lot worse. In all honesty, like, God's, God's answer kind of sucks to, to back his prayer in my mind. I don't, I don't want to hear this from God. It's already been hard. It's already been bad, God. What do you mean it's going to get worse? We have to remember that, what he's been through. And the second thing that we have to think about, and this is something that I just, I didn't pick up until this week, if you realize this. God goes on this kind of this rant where he's, he's almost bragging about the, the, the hostility of the Babylonians, these Chaldeans. He's, he's going on this rant about them. This, I, I was trying to give us a picture. This would be like God saying, hey, just so you guys know, I'm raising up ISIS and I'm giving them all the strength that's necessary so that nothing can stand in their way. Nothing. We will destroy all of you buy this. And the ones that we don't destroy will be enslaved. And, and you're going to wish that you had been destroyed because these are a brutal people. Guys, the, the Babylonians, they, they, were, they were perfect at horrible things. I don't even know if I can say it on here because of some of the stuff they did. It was just, just the worst you can imagine. And then, then some. This is who the Babylonians are. This is what Chaldeans are. This is what they were doing at this time. They were horrible people. They were violent and vicious and mean and they did not, they're like just the worst of the worst of the worst. And this is who God says is going to wreak havoc or bring his righteousness, his justice onto God's people. Are these absolutely horrific people in this time where Habakkuk has already felt like it couldn't get any worse. And God just says, oh no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Not only is it gonna get worse, it's gonna get exceptionally worse. In fact, all of your friends, all of your people, Picture this, just sitting with God. Picture this. It's already been bad. There's only maybe a dozen, a handful, who knows how many people that are standing righteous before the Lord. And, and God comes and says, all of you, all of them, your cousins, your uncles, your brothers, your sisters, your friends, your coworkers, every single one of them are either going to be dead or enslaved by the Babylonians. That's what's going to happen. That's the answer that God gives Habakkuk. And you'll see as we move on that he doesn't really like that answer, but he continues to push into the Lord but this is the answer that God gives him. A couple things that we need to remember first off is that Habakkuk is in the time of the Mosaic law versus the new covenant, the Mosaic covenant versus the new covenant. The Mosaic covenant was very much a kind of a blessed, curse covenant, right? We, we, we submit ourselves to God. We follow God. He blesses us. We, we sin against him. Then he brings the curse upon us. His wrath shows up. We rest in the new covenant of Jesus, where the curse is on Jesus. Cursed is the man that hangs in the tree, right? We rest on the, in the new covenant where Jesus, those of us that have surrendered our life to Jesus, can experience the blessing even though we deserve the curse. So God's doing exactly what he said he would do. He's keeping his promise. He's being true to who he was. The thing that we have to remember when we look at scriptures like this in the Old Testament and versus the New Testament is we so often want to say, oh, that's the God of the then versus the God of now. That is just not true. James 1.17 and multiple other scriptures talk about how God does not change. God is there. The truth stands, the truth stands, it stands true to this point that God 
doesn't change. The reason why I started today reminding us of sin is because I think we, we forget another few massive truths when it comes to texts like this. First off, sin is at the root of it, rebellion against God, a good God. And if God is good and he is just and he is wrath and he is love, he is all those things at the same time. He doesn't act loving or act wrathful. He is those things. Those are his characters. That's what the scriptures talk about who he is. If he is those things, then he has got to do something with the rebellion against him. And for us, sitting on this side of the new covenant, we see that he takes that rebellion and he, and he pushes out his wrath on his son, his very son, Jesus Christ, so that we can stand holy and righteous despite the fact that we continue to spit in his face when every time we go to our sins or our rebellions against him, even though he has forgiven us. See, when it gets hard, we, we don't, when it gets hard, we see who we really are. And when it gets difficult and when life gets hard, and, and, and I'm not in any way trying to minimize our situation right now, it's hard. Many people are losing jobs and people are losing their lives and, and, and all kinds of hardships are happening. I'm not trying to, to make those things small, but we shouldn't be shocked by it. We live in a world that's being run by sinfulness. We should stop looking to blame the government or blame this person or blame that person. We should just blame sin because that's ultimately at the root of all of it. Rebellion against God. We have lost sight of one of the most important things. And I think if I were sitting in Habakkuk's shoes, if I came to the Lord and said, God, what are you doing? Where are you at? And he came back at me with this answer. Honestly, I, would, I probably wouldn't, you wouldn't want to record what I did in the Bible because I don't think it'd be worthy to, to repeat or do again. But we forget some other really important things. Not only is sin the ultimate enemy, sin is the ultimate thing. We forget what God is doing we, 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 we lose sight. We get, it gets difficult and we get kind of narrow and we kind of focus in and we hunker in and we look right in front of us and we miss everything else that God is doing. And God is about two really important things, many other things, but two things that we have like congruently all the way through the Bible that there is no difference of at all. God is about bringing glory to himself and he's about saving people. And yes, there's many other things that he will do in their sanctification and joy and all those other things. But at the end of the day, the reason why we are still waiting on this world for Jesus to come back is because God is patiently waiting to draw the rest of his family, the rest of his children, the co-heirs with Christ, to his family. God is about bringing glory to himself. The end that all of his, he's, he's, he's working himself to the end that all of his children are home and take joy in him alone and everything bringing glory to him. Look ahead at Habakkuk 2.14 real quick. We're going to talk about this later. In the middle of the woes, God says this. He says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. What, what is God doing? He's saying, look, in the middle of all this horrible things, the earth is going to be filled with what? The knowledge of the glory of God. God is about bringing glory to himself. Not to me, not to you. He's about bringing glory to himself. And I think we, we forget. We forget what we're supposed to be doing. I, I bought a new tree in our backyard to put in this specific spot and, and we finally dug that massive hole and got the tree in and, and I was sitting there, sitting out like kind of just looking at my work this last week like, oh yeah, good job, Brent, that's awesome. And I started thinking about like, oh, you know what? In like 30 years, this tree is gonna just give me some great shade. 30 years, this tree is gonna give me some great shade as if I have any idea of where I will be or what the Lord will be doing in 30 years. I got distracted. I got, I got, in this moment, I started thinking and making plans for 
this earth, for this place. I started, I started moving furniture on the Titanic so it'll look better at the bottom of the ocean. That's, that's what I started doing here is I started making this, this step. And it's not, it's not bad to want to plant a tree. It's good, right? And it's not bad to want shade. But how often do we get confronted by the fact that we're doing something for our comfort? And God says, well, hold on a second. Hang on. It's not about your comfort. It's about my glory. It's never been about your comfort. And we get so distracted. What is it for you? What's the proverbial promise of shade in 30 years? Is it retirement? Is it that next home? Is it that vacation? All those things are great. Is it the kids? Is it the marriage? What, what are you looking to in this world? All those things are good. Please hear me on this. But if we don't keep that in perspective, those things become our God. And when those are ripped from us, we start questioning our God. And we start pushing at him saying, how dare you allow this to happen? How dare you allow bad things to happen to good people? Which again, we aren't good. God is good. But we start, we start pushing on him. We start, we start wrestling with this as opposed to recognizing the question, how could a good God allow good things to happen to bad people like you and I? Like that's, a, that's, a, that's a mind-blowing of a question that we should be asking. We forget that this isn't home. When I, when I get confronted by hard truths like this, I, I, it causes me to pause for a moment and just put me right back in my place. Well, this isn't home. God is, we, we spent a, a whole two months on the resurrection of Christ talking about that this will be home in the new heavens and the new earth. This is, that's when we'll be there. But what we are living in, what we are walking in, every single thing is decaying. My body, the weeds I pull in my yard are just gonna show up again tomorrow. Everything is slowly de- decaying. The more we push into it, the more we make it new, it will slowly, slowly age, fall apart, break, and fail. We lose sight of where we are. See, the scriptures teach that if we are a follower of Jesus, if we submitted our lives to Christ, that we are a citizen of heaven. We are, we are aliens to this world. That means that our, our rights in this world, our liberties in this world, they don't matter because we are a slave to Christ. Philippians 3 says that we are citizens of heaven. Uh, Ephesians 2.19 talks about us being children of God. We're his. We're citizens of heaven. We don't, we don't belong here. We belong here, but we belong here with the imperishable, with God, with Jesus Christ. What we are seeing right now is going away and is dying. So when it gets really hard, we shouldn't be shocked because we don't have rights. Our rights are in heaven. We shouldn't be shocked when the world pushes against us because we are not of this world. We shouldn't be shocked. I shouldn't have been shocked by hearing that news because it's a broken world. It should grieve me I should strive to see the gospel penetrate that area. But I shouldn't be shocked by it. Why do we keep getting shocked by this? Because we lose sight of what God is doing. Look, God's answer to Habakkuk, he, doesn't, he gets to see, most scholars believe that he gets to see Babylon come and crush the Israelites. But we, we know that because of age, that he most likely definitely did not see the, the Greeks come in and destroy Babylon, Babylon like he says he will do in a second answer. So what would it have been for you if God had come to you and said, hey, just just prepare yourself. Just so you know, there's gonna be this really hard stay-at-home thing that's gonna happen and it's gonna cause all sorts of fears and all sorts of people, even the believers are gonna be fearful and they're gonna be running every which direction and and I want you to know I'm doing that and, and it's gonna be really hard and at the end of it, you may not have come out stronger as a family, you may not have come out 
with your life. You might not have come out okay emotionally, but don't worry, in the end, I am victorious overall. What would you do? See, if I was a back again, I got this answer from God, I'd be like, well, I heard Greece is nice this time of year, and I'd pack up and get out of there. Just take off. Be like, are you kidding me? This is horrible. And I'd probably tell all of my friends, come with me, get out of here. But we don't see that. We don't see that in Habakkuk. He sits, he stays. Instead, he turns to praising God for who he is. The one thing that we can know for certain, no matter how difficult it is, when we look at this text, that God is at work, we just may not understand it, we may not like it, and we may not come out of it okay physically, financially, or emotionally, but we will come out of it in victory with Christ. You know, we, we know the end of the story. This is, what, this is what God was pushing on this week. I know how it's supposed to go. I, it's, it's not, he's not ambiguous in the scripture. There are parts that are, but like, he's pretty clear about what the end's gonna look like. And now we can get on all up in arms, well, is the end coming now and get all fearful about that? Doesn't matter, who cares? Because God still has a purpose for us today. But you, you realize that you weren't promised comfort to follow Jesus. You were promised peace and transcends comfort. You were promised an easy yoke, a light burden. That doesn't mean that comfort. In fact, you, you were promised the very opposite. Let me just go to Jesus' mouth. John 16, 33 says this. This is Jesus speaking. I have said these things to you, that, you, that in me you may have peace. Oh, praise Jesus. In him we have peace. And then he goes on and says, in the world you will have tribulation. Doesn't say you might have tribulation. Doesn't say it could be difficult. He says you will have trouble. You will have trouble. And then he goes on and says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Guys, there's two beautiful promises in that. Whenever we get into difficult situations, he tells us to, to know that we can have peace in him no matter how difficult it is. That's the person that's walking around right now going, I'm losing all my money, I've, I've lost my health, I'm worried about dying and all those other things. And he says, I have peace in the Lord because I know I'm to be evangelizing. I'm supposed to be making disciples. Those missions don't change in spite of what we're experiencing right now. And then the second promise, he says, look, death doesn't even have the last word. I'm always amazed, and again, I do not mean to be insensitive in this, but I'm always amazed when people are like, well, you could die. We're all gonna die. It's gonna happen. We can, we can elongate it, we can put effort in it, we can stay healthy, but, but we don't know when it is. God does, because a sparrow doesn't fall from the sky that he doesn't know, and we are worth way more than a sparrow to God. So why, why are we running in fear? Why are we fearful of what may or may not happen when we know the end of the story? What if God had told you what was going on? What if he came to you and said, what are you going to do? If he came to you and said, what if God answers you this way? He says, hey, I'm working, but you're not going to like it. What if his response to the news of God showing us what he was doing, what, what would be your response to that? How would you respond to God? Maybe, just maybe, look at how you're responding right now, and this might be an indication of how you'd respond if he answered. If you find yourself looking for someone to blame and running in fear, then maybe that's how you'd respond if God looked at you and said, hey, Brent, I'm doing a work. You don't understand it, but I will be glorified. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of my glory in the way that I work. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's hard. I'm not trying to in any way minimize the difficulties. Some of you right now are experiencing horrible hardships, but we shouldn't expect anything less. 
In fact, our suffering is producing something more valuable than gold. James tells us to remain under those various trials. Why? Because God is doing something. Hebrews tells us that, that we might be experiencing hardships because he disciplines those whom he loves. I'm, look, I'm not saying that God is doing this right now, and I'm not even saying that the enemy is doing this, but I am saying the one thing that we can say with 100% certainty is that God is allowing it and God is capable of ending it, but ultimately what he's doing is bringing glory to himself. So we should rest in that. We should be a people that move in peace and excitement, knowing that despite what we see in front of us, God is working a bigger, longer game that to us feels like forever, but our entire life is a vapor to him. We shouldn't lose the vision. If we know that sin is the enemy, and we know that God is about bringing glory to himself and saving others, then we shouldn't lose the vision. We should be out evangelizing. We should be sharing the gospel more ferociously today. We should be showing the world what hope and peace looks like in turmoil. Not the opposite of what I see a lot of us brothers and sisters doing during this time. Riddled with fear. Fighting each other. Fighting this stuff for, for no apparent reason. Other than we're just being motivated out of fear. We should be, we should be the people that are pushing in the 59 one another commands. We should be making disciples. We should be speaking truth over each other. And when it's spoken over us, we should be soft to receive it. Because we have the peace. We have a God that no matter what happens in this world, he has overcome death. And so we do not have to worry about its sting anymore. We are victorious in Christ. I promise you there are going to be times that not, that then, then that you are not going to like it. There are going to be times that things are not going to like. You're going to, you're going to realize that you're going to be obliterated physically, emotionally, financially. You're going to lose work. You're going to lose, you're going to lose lives, relationships. All those things are going to happen. But you will make it out victoriously in Christ. That's enough. Really, all our difficulties have to deal with the perspective thing, if you think about it for a second. This all has to do with how we see the world. If you see the world as good or deserving good, then God not giving it to us is mean. And this question, how could a good God, it's like, if you see the world as deserving, you see yourself as, I deserve good, then when you don't get good, it's like, God, where are you? What's wrong? Why aren't you answering this prayer? How long, oh Lord? That's the questions we can start asking God, which again, he says, come to him. We talked about that last week. No problem. Go to him. Complain to him. Not to social media and each other. Go to him. But if we see the world as the way it is, bad and broken, then any good we experience is just a grace of God. Anything you have that is good comes from God. God is good. Nothing is good apart from him. This is what the scriptures teach us. So who is your God? Is your God small, weak, or on the sidelines? I can tell you right now, Habakkuk realized very quickly how powerful God is in this type. He was, there was no confusion in that moment. <laughs> well, well, hold on a second. You're raising up an unrighteous people to, to put just, justice on your children? He got it all wrong. He's not weak. He's sovereign. Stop 
operating in fear. We do not need to fear those who can kill the body. We don't. Whether it's a virus or a a robber or anything else, we don't need to fear that. Instead, Jesus tells us very, very, very soberingly, fear who can kill the body and the soul. We see that in Matthew 10, 28. It says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, fear God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's who we are to fear. Why are we following, these, following to fear of these other little things? We have to put on the imperishable and take off the perishable. Until that point, guys, we will be riddled with sin. We will be fighting it tooth and nail. We will be battling it in our prayer life. We will be battling it in our everyday life. It's going to happen. But through the battle, God is going to bring glory to himself through it all. And although he may seem slow, like, like 1 Peter tells us or 2 Peter tells us, he may seem slow. He's not. He's patient. He's patient because he's waiting to bring his children home. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we talked about this a while ago. It says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known or has been fully known. And we talked about this uh, extensively back when we went through Corinthians. But this is essentially saying this, that we will know God the same way that he knows us. But not right now. Hear, hear that. You're, you're not going to know him fully. You see him dimly in a mirror, in a reflection. It's not going to happen to, oh, I got it all. He may give us revelations at moment. He may show us amazing things. He may accomplish incredibly, incredibly supernatural miracles that, that defy all of our laws of natural order every now and then. But no matter what he's doing, he's bringing glory to himself, and we will never fully know it until we have that imperishable body on. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with not knowing what God's doing? Are you okay with potentially being Habakkuk, where God's going to tell you, hey, as bad as it is now, you're going to die with it being worse. But don't worry, I'm at work. Are you okay with that answer? So turn back to the Lord. Truly allow the Lord to put you back in your place if you're not. If you don't like that answer, wrestle with the Lord. Why don't I like it? You, you might be surprised at how much you've put yourself on the throne in your life as opposed to him, but honestly wrestle with the Lord. I talked about the new covenant, Mosaic covenant, and I want to just real quickly talk to those of you that don't know the Lord. And maybe there are many of you, and I don't mean this to, to push you and say you question faith, but maybe there are many of you that came into this whole COVID-19 thing and realized, man, I don't have a faith at all. That's okay. That's a good realization because come to the Lord. He's gracious. He's loving. He cares about you. Put your faith in him, the God that only can give you peace. He does not give you turmoil and confusion. It, you look, your life might be hard, but when you rest in the Lord, when you are the Lord's, you have a peace that surpasses all understanding. No matter how hard it gets, when you, when you remember in the Lord, you realize that, that the enemy isn't you, it's the sinfulness in you, and that God wants to save you and remove the sinfulness and put that sin on Jesus Christ so that he can be just and have his wrath poured out on Jesus Christ in place of you so that you can be a child of God and you can walk with peace and you can have hope and you can know that no matter how hard it gets, you have victory in the end. That should be enough. The victory we have in Christ should be enough 
Why do we lose sight of that? Why do we get enamored with 30 years of potential shade or comfort? God loves you. We, we didn't even get to talk about it, and we will in a second or in a couple weeks. But God answers Habakkuk. How beautiful is that? God answers him. He will answer you too, and we will talk about that. And God tells Habakkuk these horrible things. They're terrible. Like the picture, I can't imagine what would happen to my kids if people like the Babylonians came and took them into captivity. Horrible things. And he tells Habakkuk these things because he knows Habakkuk can take it, not because Habakkuk is strong, but because God is with him. Because God is his strength. He is his refuge. You see Habakkuk come back to him with frustration, feistiness, and God breaks him down to a bended knee and ultimately it ends, like I said, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God is doing amazing things. This is the funny thing about verse five. He's like, you won't even believe what I'm doing if I told you. I wonder how many times in my prayer life God wanted to say that to me and I just wasn't okay with hearing that. Even though 1 Corinthians 13 tells me I will not understand God fully until I'm in his kingdom. How many amazing things of God are you missing daily because you're just riddled with fear and confused by the fact that you forgot that sin is the enemy and that God is about bringing glory to himself and you somehow placed yourself as the primary focal point of your story instead of putting yourself on your face before the Lord and realizing that he's the primary focal point and he has a work for you to do. It's to preach the good news. It's to share the gospel. It's to live faithfully and true to the scriptures. Do we marvel at God's handiwork every day? Are we amazed at how he could bring glory to this? Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that those, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And we, we read that scripture sometimes so wrong. We think that God is just going to make, when we see good, we think of all comfort. Everything's going to be good. I'm going to have a 2.5 kids, white picket fence, perfect job, great 401k. No, you notice that he doesn't, in this verse, doesn't say that God causes evil and suffering, just that he promises that he will cause good out of it. See that? In fact, that's what he's saying. He's ultimately saying, look, I, no matter how hard it is, I'm going to bring good out of it. Why? Because I am a good God. And no matter how many times you ask him, and just think about this for a second, the evil and the atrocities that we see, can you imagine what it's like to see it from his eyes? Can you imagine how painful it is for him to see his children operating in the sinfulness that they operate in? Can you imagine how hard it is for him to see his children turn to idols? We struggle with just seeing ugliness and sin. He, he sees it all. It also doesn't say that we'll see the good immediately or even in this life. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, I will do this for the good of your life today, in the next 10 years, before you die. He just says, I will turn it for the good. Remember, we only see things dimly now in this world. And you might feel like it's impossible. You know, I don't know how God can take anything so atrocious and turn it into good. How is he gonna, how is he gonna help me get out of my financial problems? How is he gonna help me fix these relational issues? How can, how can it be this bad and how could there ever be anything good in that? When you ask that question, you forget that God already took the most horrifying thing in the world and made it good by sending Jesus to the cross. How horrible of a thing is that to send your only son, a perfect son, who deserves no punishment to experience a 
brutal, harsh, horrifying death and torture by people whom he created and then only to drink the entirety of God's wrath due for every single sinner that we all just poured in and poured in and poured in. That is a horrible thing, but it's good because in that, God has turned it to good. So if he can make that good, he can make any situation you're in good. If God can take the very worst circumstance imaginable and turn it into the very best situation possible, can he not take the negative circumstances in your life and create something good from them? Isaiah says his ways are not my ways. God is better at life than us. Just period. So when he says, give me your life, it's better for him to have it. Would you give him your life? Maybe for some of you today, that's like, man, I've lost sight. I've been riddled by fear. The Holy Spirit is convicting you. He's pushing on you saying, look, stop doing this. Maybe that's you today. Then turn, repent, confess it, run to the Lord. He's not going to have his arms crossed and say, it's about time. No, you are in the new covenant. As a child of God, every sin you have done or will do has already been paid for and punished. That's why he was cursed on the tree, not us. So run to him. If you're here today and you're like, I don't, I don't believe in him. I don't even know if I believe this, but this sounds horrible. How, how can this be in case? Then let me just tell you this. No matter how bad this sounds, this world will make it look a lot worse because this world is lost to sin. Your life is lost to sin. Our family members and friends that don't know Jesus, they're, they're enslaved to sin. And the only freedom that comes from that is in Christ. And the only victory that can be had is in Christ. And it may not look like victory today because we might be broken, beaten, perplexed, and struggle. But at the end of the day, it does not matter because we will not be destroyed. As children of God, we will end up in his kingdom where there will be no COVID-19, where there will be no Babylonians, not people group, but the unrighteous people taking on the righteous. There will be no divisiveness. No fear. We will stand in the presence of God. We can, the, the temple will be open. We can walk in and we can praise him in his presence. Not because of anything you've done. Not because of how well you made it through the COVID-19 thing. Don't make this a works-based thing. But because God is good and he's at work and he's doing something. And in Christ, you can have freedom. So don't get distracted. Don't lose sight of what God is doing. Don't forget who the enemy is. Stay true to the vision. Bring glory to God in everything you do. And if this is, if you have to ask this question, does this even bring glory? If, you're, if there's a question mark, then don't do it. He is about bringing glory to himself. He answers Habakkuk in the most horrible way possible. And I wonder just how many times God has answered our prayers with that same perplexity. And instead of sitting in it and going back to him, we run from him. Let me pray. Father, we, um, Father, I, I confess to you that I can get distracted at times. Father, forgive me for being shocked at the brokenness of this world. Um, and thank you for allowing me to see the brokenness in this world. Um, I'll admit it is too great for me to bear, and I don't know how you do it, God. It is amazing to me that you can see all that brokenness and still be covering everyone in love. So God, I pray that we would wrestle with you. I pray that you would 
For those of us that need to be put back into our place, God, put us back into our place. If there's a branch on us that is not connected to you, God, cut away everything that is not connected to you. God, if there's a fear that is trying to strike and take away our joy, God, I pray that you would be ferocious at ridding us of that. Even if that ferociousness, with the same ferociousness that you were at ridding the sinfulness of the people of Israel with the Babylonians. God, wreak havoc with us. If it's anything that is not of you, cut and pound and break away. God, I I know that you are a patient God, and it's amazing to me that you are surgically working through this right now so that many can come to know you as opposed to just wiping the floor because if you wiped today, you'd wipe so many people with you. God, we love you. I love you. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for reminding me that then in spite of everything I may see, in spite of everything that I may understand, I still don't know entirely what you're doing, but I know without a doubt that you are doing what you are doing will fill this earth with your glory. And so God, I pray, I pray that you would come back. I pray that you wouldn't allow me to see that shade in 30 years. I pray that we would instead be enjoying your new creation and your new heavens and your new earth without any sin or brokenness. And God, I pray like I have prayed this whole time. Bring us back together. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.